Ortho Laser Orthopedic Laser Centers is proud to sponsor the Ortho Show podcast. Ortho Laser Orthopedic Laser Centers is killing it right now. We have six centers open with two more opening in the next eight weeks with 10 more sites in the queue across the country. We're exclusively powered by the MLS M8 laser technology. Laser treatment is an awesome alternative to traditional cortisone shots and surgery for all of your acute and chronic orthopedic pain needs for your patients. To find out how you can supercharge your orthopedic practice and become a part of the OrthoLaser community, go to the OrthoLaser website at www.ortholaserwithaz.com. That's www.ortholaserwithaz.com. From Medical Media, this is The Ortho Show. All right, everyone, it's fro time once again. Your favorite opioid-sparing orthopedic surgeon, Dr. Scott Sigmund, here to host another episode of The Ortho Show. Well, I think it's about time that we go a little West Coast with one of my favorite orthopedic surgeons on the planet, Dr. Eamon Ferry. How are you, brother? Great to have you on. I'm good, Scott. Thanks for having me. All right, man. So, you know, we hunkered down in Boston for eight weeks. We're following all the rules. Everybody's good. We're coming out of this thing. Like, what the what the F is happening in Arizona right now, man? The things are out of control. Dude, you guys got it easy. We had to hunker down, and now we got to hunker down again. <laughs> I know. I mean, what the, what's going on? What, talk to me. Yeah, unfortunately, when you guys got hit hard on the East Coast, we really didn't have COVID here. And so, you know, obviously we did the right thing. I mean, you hunker down, you get your PPEs, you try to figure out what's going on, get a game plan. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that in many ways, uh, hindsight being 2020, we probably were a little too aggressive on reopening. You know, we threw the doors open in uh, probably mid-May, end of May, and it was a free-for-all. And uh, unfortunately, the biggest uh, demographics that we see right now are the 20 to 40-year-olds because they're going to clubs, they're going to bars. Yeah. And uh, there's this this sort of uh, independent sentiment here of, you know, you can't tell me what to do. I don't have to wear a face mask. And uh, I think that's really backfiring for a lot of people, unfortunately. So yeah. we're just hitting what you guys did in March. We're just getting it later. And it's actually interesting. If you go back and look at FEMA, you know, their data from back in March and April, they said we were going to spike in Arizona in June. Mm. Well, lo and behold, here we go. You know, it's interesting. I mean, Governor Baker, for for all of the flack he got early on, uh, really committed to this whole process. And then he has the phases in which you could open. We're actually in phase three right now. So the gyms have now opened, the hair salons have opened, but there really wasn't a lot of that, you know, even after things sort of slowed down. So it doesn't sound to me like there was a lot of organization in the opening of things in Arizona. It was sort of like, we're just, we're okay. We're just going to go now. Yeah, it was, you know, we went from, from phase one to phase five, if there's a phase five, I don't know. I mean, it was uh, everything's open, good to go. And, um, you know, there really wasn't a lot of uh, public discussion of the benefits of masks. And so yeah. that really became something that was really out of favor here. And so during this whole time, it was this thought, well, Arizona, it's hot, it's dry, we're immune to coronavirus, we can't get it. And by the time we realized that that's not real, you know, the die is cast and you got to ride, you got to ride the wave, um, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, this virus is so funky, man. It, you know, it's not following any rules. It's just going and doing what it wants to do. And, you know, but let's the media sort of blows this thing up. And I really want to know on the ground level here. You know, I know that there was some conversation that you guys 
we're going to have elective surgery blocked by the governor again. It sounds like he did not do that. But how are your hospitals? How are your ICUs? I mean, are, are, are they overflowing or are you guys keeping up with the capacity? Well, so every couple of days we get a report from the hospital. I, I can't tell you the last time I was actually in an ICU. So yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's good. Fortunately, <laughs> I haven't seen it personally. But uh, one of the interesting things we have here is that our population here in Phoenix, it's uh, very seasonal. So during this time of year, we lost, I mean, we lose about 30% of the population as compared to February or March. And so with that, there's a lot of the uh, temporary workers, you know, the travelers that would come out and say, work in the hospitals, work in the ICU when people are here in the spring and things are busy and those are gone. So the, so the initial part, we had the ICU beds. We just didn't have the staff to yeah, staff them. Sure, sure, sure. So now we've got travelers back. And so the ICUs are, I mean, they're hopping. Um, we are, it, they, so the elective surgeries are on a hospital by hospital basis based on their overflow. And the ones that are actually pulling the elective surgeries are more the hospitals that need the staff in the ICUs rather than in the operating room. So it. it's, just, it's a manpower thing more than anything from what I'm told. Uh, but they haven't yet uh, tried or threatened to stop the elective surgeries in the outpatient centers. Good, 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 good. And, and, you know, the PPEs is, you know, it's a concern, but uh, for the most part, we have adequate PPEs here. And so, you know, that's not the issue that it was back in March. Um, so we've got our, you know, supply chain in place, but it's really, it's a personnel issue more than anything. Yeah, that's interesting. And that, you know, that's the important message here. It's not like the the death rate's gone up or, you know, yeah, I mean, a lot of people are catching COVID and you said it, there's a new age, the sort of the twenties to forties are getting it, but, but they're, you know, for the most part they're surviving and the, and the death rate is what it is, you know, less than 1%, 0.5%, whatever it is. But yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, it's a, it's a weird wacky world that we're living in and, yeah. uh, you know, so, you know, go. I was, saying, I, I was even reading a report that there's obviously different strains that have been hitting the U.S., and some of the early ones that hit on the West Coast um, and probably in the East Coast as well were more of the Chinese version. And now apparently there's a European strain. And that's what we have here in Arizona for the most part. And it's more infectious, but less deadly. Yeah, so exactly. The majority of cases, people are getting sick for, I mean, even a day. Yeah. Um, you know, and it was, you know, back in March, we would talk and, you know, Sharif in Detroit and you and on the East Coast and everybody, I mean, everybody knew people had COVID. I said, I know nobody that has COVID. And now I can tell you, I know people COVID. I know people currently in the ICU on ventilators out here. Mm. So it's it really is exactly what you guys are going through. Yeah, I mean, we're going to need a vaccine. We're going to need some treatment. And once that happens, hopefully things will open up. And, we're, and there's some good stuff I want to talk to you about too, and, and the other aspects of, of your life. But let's talk. Let's go. Let's go back first and foremost. I haven't brought it up yet for all the listeners out there. You know, you know, we all know that that hair is very important to me, right? Hashtag follow the fro. But I have to say that Eamon Ferry has some of the best hair in orthopedics. So, you know, you're not going to be able to see him here, but I'm telling you right now, it's worth going and checking it out. So, you know, hair in orthopedics, Eamon Ferry, definitely top five. We'll right, appreciate that. Yeah, it's all good. <laughs> so, so talk to me about your fellowship because that's something we have in common. You know, you did your fellowship at Mass General. Yeah. You were taking care of all the professional sports teams in Boston, which we love and adore. What was that experience like? That was fantastic. I mean, it was a big, it was a big perk for the fellowship. I mean, you know, obviously working with great people at a great institution was, you know, a big part of the decision-making process, but, you know, I've always left professional sports and I, you know, going to sports medicine for me, that was something that I wanted to do and I wanted to get that experience. And uh, unfortunately, Scott, I got to be honest with you that I was there in 2009, 2010, and it was probably the one year and maybe a two decade decades um, a span 
where not one professional team in Boston <laughs> made it out of the first round of playoffs. I know that's unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, my kids, my kids are like, who's going to win the championship this year? You know, like yeah. that's just their, their 18 years on the planet have been Boston sports teams yeah. winning championships. It's that, that I know is so winning, man. And it's, and it was, uh, uh, it was fun. I mean, it was a good experience, but you know, a lot of the fellows before and after me, you know, got rings and got, you know, right. trips to Super Bowls and, <laughs> yeah. you know, World Series and, um, yeah, so oh, that's so funny. But, but Tom, Tom Gill's one of my favorites. How was it working with Tom? Tom was fantastic. I mean, he's a great mentor. He's a great leader. He was, uh, you know, I mean, a lot of what I still do are things that you know Tom taught me, and it was more to Tom than just teaching orthopedics. I mean, he taught there were a lot of life lessons in there, and uh, you know, you know, taking care of the Patriots, we would spend a lot of time on the road because we would travel, you know, with the team, and obviously Tom and. There's some downtime, you know, where, you know, players are getting treatments or things like that. And it was, you know, let's talk life. Let's talk, you know, what are you doing? What do you want to be doing? Where do you want to be? What are your goals? And uh, to have someone as, you know, as established and, and experienced and, um, you know, as, as Tom Gill, uh, to be able to have that, you know, heart to heart life conversation was fantastic. And he's still available at any time. I could call him any time of the day and say, Tom, this is what I'm thinking. What do you think? Whether it's a case or whether it's, something in my personal life. I mean, I know he'd be there to discuss. Yeah, we're going to get, we'll have to get Tom on the show for sure. He's uh, he's a great guy. He's an iconic leader of sports medicine here in, in Boston. He's busier than ever. He's happy with his family. He's not doing all the crazy pro sports anymore at this point, but uh, you know, good for him. So you're one of these guys, you know, that actually took your fellowship. I mean, let's talk, you know, for sports medicine to truly be able to take care of professional sports teams, there's really only a few fellowships around the country that are really going to give you that experience and pedigree that allows you to do that. I mean, there's a lot of sports medicine fellowships where you're learning technique, surgery, et cetera, but to really take care of pro sports, it really requires appropriate training. The, the days of nepotism and all of that have really gone away. And and okay. so, you know, you you now in, in Scottsdale in Arizona have uh, have the opportunity to care for the Diamondbacks, the Suns and the Cardinals. So that's awesome. Isn't that a great process for you? Was that important for you as you were going into private practice to be able to find that that's that possibility? Yeah, that was always a goal. Yeah, I started, you know, we have the advantage out here of having uh, a lot of minor league organizations through you know spring training. So I uh, started off initially. I still do work with the Seattle Mariners, taking care of all their minor league players. And so if anybody gets hurt in their minor league organization, they fly them out here, they have a huge complex here. So that was really where I dipped my toe in the water as, as being, you know, a team physician on my own. And so I did that. And then, uh, you know, joined my partners, my current group, and we took over the, had the Diamondbacks, the Cardinals, and took over the Suns uh, in the last year. And that was always a big goal for me coming out of training is that uh, I knew I wanted to work with professional teams, professional athletes. Um, just I, I love the complexity of it. The you know it's 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 a different um, you know it, it, you know obviously you're still doing orthopedics, but there are a lot of different factors in play and uh, and not only that, but when you take care of the players, I mean they have unlimited resources for getting better. I mean they're young, yeah. they're healthy, and they are very motivated, and they have every day of their life to spend getting better. And so um, it's really it's, it's a very um, exciting and fun uh, player population or patient population to have. But then excitements of going to the games and being on the field. I mean, you know, one of the most amazing things was the first time, you know, I was on the NFL field uh, during a game, you know, with the Patriots and you hear the sounds on the field, you hear the impact on a kickoff and it is thrilling and scary and exciting. And when the first thing, speaking of Tom Gill, one of the first things I learned is we we're on the field during a practice and I was talking to Tom and had my back to the field 
He takes you by the shoulder. Turns <laughs> yeah, not a good idea. Came in and make it the last time you would ever turn your back to the field. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. You've got a great head of hair, and we, uh, get, we definitely want that uh, to keep going yeah, for sure. There's no shortage of examples of people getting hurt on the sidelines in a football game. So Yeah, that, that's so funny. So but so let's talk about that because that's you know one of the major things about COVID now is we're – you know, the NBA is down in Orlando in this this bubble and they're really taking it seriously. Like literally, if you go across the street to pick up your 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 takeout food, you're in quarantine for another 14 oh, yeah. days. Yeah. And uh, so obviously you're not going to be necessarily part of that unless the, the kids come out or the athletes come out, I should say. Uh, but baseball, it's, the Diamondbacks are, are training at home, right? Isn't that what all the, the teams are doing at this point? They're not traveling for, for right. spring training. And then I mean, it's going to be hard, isn't it, from the standpoint of testing? And then, obviously, there's not going to be fans. I mean, it's just going to be a weird a weird time in professional sports. Uh, so, yeah, so for baseball, it's just a uh, it's a different sport because of the size of the stadiums. And what they've done in the MLB, though, is limit the amount of travel. So for the Diamondbacks, we're really just playing West Coast teams uh, right now. And so the guys are in their training. I just was in there yesterday getting my COVID tests. So we're doing, you know, COVID tests uh, every day or every other day with the players and uh, staff. Kind of people are coming in and out probably once every other week, and then uh, once we start games up again next week, thank God, <laughs> we're gonna, yeah, uh, they're really limiting the people that come in the clubhouse. There's not going to be any fans, but uh, you know, some of the clubs are actually putting up paper. I don't think we're doing that here, but they are going to pipe in crowd noise. That's cool. They yeah. got something to get the guys going a little bit, you know? So, I mean, yeah, it always helps. Yeah, so I'll tell you, the next game I'm at, I'll, I'll take a video of it and, and send it over. <laughs> that, that'd be great. So wait, let's, go, let's go back for a second. You told me that one of your partners is in the bubble down in Orlando right now taking care of the team. Yeah. So he's given up his private practice for a month. to go down for, for how long? A month. One month. Yep. Are you guys supporting him? I mean, how does that work? Yeah. So, I mean, as much as we can, I mean, we need him more here, but yeah, <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things you do. And um, so, and, and he's a, uh, he's a great guy. He's very dedicated, you know, to the teams he cares for. And uh, oftentimes he'll travel because he also works with the U S ski team. Um, so it's not unusual for him to take off two or three weeks and go somewhere where the U S ski, I mean, some random place in Northern sure. Sweden or something. And uh, so this is the kind of things he does. And um and so, yeah, so when the opportunity arose and he was asked, he you know, was happy to oblige, but we did the best we can to kind of pick up things. But the other, the other part of it too, Scott, is that, you know, here in mid-July, I mean, anybody who can gets out of, out of Arizona. Sure. So, sure. you know, this is typically, you know, especially the last two weeks of July, it, it's, it's crickets here. I mean, people are gone. Um, so there's really not a whole lot of business here this time until school starts up. So it's actually reasonably a, a, a time, a good, to, a good time to go. Yeah, it's not bad. We can pick up the slack. But yeah, still, I mean, I, I think that's a great example of the personal sacrifice that you have to make to be to be a team physician at a, on a professional team. I mean, they have your cell phone. They can call you anytime. They text you anytime. And, you know, the travel and the commitment that you have it is really it really is pretty impressive. So for for those fellowship uh, guys, guys in fellowship right now that really think they're passionate about it, you need to be in order to be successful at it and, and really have it work a long time. So I want to I want to change gears here a little bit. Something that you and I both share is a real passion for for teaching. Uh, you know, we're we're on the circuit together, and we we spent a lot of time together pre pandemic uh, on the podium, teaching and talking about our experience, getting to the lab, and really sort of uh, helping to teach docs, new techniques, etc. And so, 
you know, I, I guess I'm curious because you and I are very similar. We, we've chosen the private practice method to do that where academics could have been another pathway. How did that choose you or was that a choice that, that you wanted to make but still continue to teach? Uh, academics was never really my forte. You know, I wrote and published papers like we all do as part of our you know training, but um, it, it wasn't something that I really had a passion for. I was more, I want, I just want to work. I want to operate. I want to see patients. I, you know, I want to get in there and cover games and 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 get my you know rub my sleeves and get dirty kind of thing. So so the academic world really didn't appeal to me uh, in training. So you know the reasonable obvious sort of uh, workaround is that you still are, have the opportunity to teach, but um, you, you're able to do it on a uh, more limited basis that doesn't really require you know publishing papers and the typical academic rigors of being in a big large institution. Yeah, I, I agree. I just had this this really cool gig. So some of the people nominated me through the Johnson Johnson Institute to take this uh, this surgical coaching gig through the Academy of Surgical Coaching. Rick Ryu was on, and uh, Dave Weinstein was on too, and and they're going to expand it. But basically, it's a really unique opportunity to, to. I went through like seven or eight hours of teaching on surgical coaching, which is different than you know the professor, the mentor type thing, and. And I'm going to basically be hooked up with three or four different docs around the country to sort of aid them by looking at their videos and their surgeries and be able to talk through it and see what we can do to make them more efficient. So that's really another thing. So we're definitely going to have to move you into that space. I think you'd be awesome at that yeah. for sure. Having worked no, with you. Great. Yeah, it's interesting. So I mean, I've been working with the AO organization as well, you know, out of Europe and um, they're, you know, obviously they've been leaders for years in, uh, trauma teaching and you know, more recently in reconstructive, but I started working with them on a soft tissue platform, looking at shoulder surgery. And so, you know, initially, you know, typically it's these big conferences and, um, you know, let's get together and have hundreds of people. And that's not realistic, you know, right now. And who knows how realistic that's going to be in the future. So through that organization, we've been really looking closely at trying to figure out how we can do distance learning. Yeah, that's a great point because yeah. that's we're gonna we'll focus that as we get towards the end because I'm gonna ask you a couple of cool questions. But one of my other questions I want to ask you because I think we've also shared in this as well. Tell me about your coolest trip abroad teaching because I know you've done some work in the Far East and and so which what what give us an event or something that happened that just was an amazing trip for you. Well, it's tough to narrow it down. Um, I would say probably so. I did a road show. Uh, so we didn't last November, uh, and it was, uh, Bangkok, uh, where do we go then? Sydney and Auckland. Awesome. I'm going to say, yeah, I think it's been, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, uh, Bangkok, you know, obviously being, you know, amazing culturally and everything like that, but we went to a dinner in Bangkok and it was a prince's ex prince's house from the royal family. And so really beautiful house in the middle of Bangkok. And it just, it, you know, it was totally different than rickshaws and, and tuk tuks and many right, other right, right. racial mansion in the middle of the city. And uh, it was all, you know, sort of traditional Thai food. And, you know, we both share a love for food and trying different foods and everything. So I'm, I'm all on it. And it was, I mean, it was crazy stuff. I mean, stuff, and this is not Thai food. Like you go down and you go right. to right. get Thai food in the States. It is, is traditional Thai food. And, uh, it was great. It was really experienced. Um, so that was, you know, for me a, a big thing, but 
Um, and then realizing that Bangkok and Australia, although they seem really close when you live in the States, they're really <laughs> they weren't. <laughs> no, it's like me flying to London from Phoenix to go from right. Bangkok to Sydney. And uh, sounded really cool in the itinerary until you're actually on the plane for 14 hours. Yeah. You're like, oh, my God. Yeah. But that's the, that's the coolest thing when, we, when you go on these these uh, you know, road shows, as, as you described, is you're not you're not tourists. You know, you're with the people that live there and they take yeah. you to the places that they go to. And you really yeah. get treated especially well. And yeah. and being able to exchange ideas, you know, you always wind up taking as much with you as, as you brought when you go to these events. Yeah. I'll never forget what my favorite episode was when I was doing a road show in Brazil. We pull into a gas station and uh, we're just sort of sitting there. There's a knock on the window and there's an 18 year old kid with a gun who looks over to the driver and basically holds us up and says, you know, give me your wallet, give me your watch. And, mm-hmm. you know, giving them like, I have my passport with me. And so I literally just, just threw my Apple watch over and the kid grabbed it. And I guess he was okay with that. And he took off. And I always laugh. I'm like, well, I guess the good news out of the story is, is I'm getting twice, twice as many steps now as I used to. I'm getting a kid in Brazil <laughs> running around as well as myself, but uh, <laughs> having that set off an alert for J and J. Oh my God. You know, Sigmund's uh, got a gun. They're going to get yeah, killed. It was like a whole big thing, but uh, <laughs> needless to say, uh, uh, we, we, we made it home. Okay. So I'm going to take a page from from one of my favorite podcasters out there, Matthew Ray Scott, and he has a tendency to, I think, ask some 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 cool questions. So I'm going to give you two more questions before we finish up. So what do you miss most right now from your pre-pandemic days, both personally and professionally? I would say professionally, it's, you know, having the pro sports, um, you know, in a way, it's actually been great having my schedule limited uh, since we've been, you know, so the initial close down schedules limited, uh, actually learning how to effectively do telemedicine, which I think is something, well, for sure is something I will carry into my practice in the future. And I think it's a great thing that we can do. You know, a lot of my patients are snowbirds. So I have patients coming from all over the country uh, that I'm operating on during the summer, I lose them. Um, And I really haven't had an effective way to keep up with them. And now with telemedicine, I can do that. Uh, but really getting in, you know, professional sports, working with the players and everything like that. I mean, it just, it died during spring training and um, it was really, you know, it was, I missed it. Um, personally, I think that more than anything, it's being able to get out, interact with people um, in a social manner. I mean, that's, you know, as and everybody's going through that same thing is that you just, you get, you know, Corona fatigue and you want to get out and you want to see people and you want to see your friends. You want to have big gatherings. You want to, you know, catch up with everybody in person and, you know, like all of us, I mean, we would see each other, you know, a couple times a year at meetings and various events and travel. And I mean, I've never been so, you know, home-based in my life and, uh, you know, pros and cons. Like the, the great thing is I'm spending more time with my family. I'm able to do things I've, you know, never have had time to do before. I've learned how to grill briskets and stuff like that, but Absolutely. But, uh, you know, the trade-off is we do podcasts instead of having a drink together. And yeah. uh, hopefully soon that will change. Yeah. No, well said, brother. Well, uh, you know, Eamon, can't thank you enough. This is the exact type of story like, that we like to tell. We're really g- gaining traction here at the Ortho Show because of the, the personal interactions that we have. You're, you're a dear friend and colleague. I really appreciate you being on with us. Absolutely, Scott. It's good to be here. All right, brother, keep that hair long, strong, and beautiful, and we will keep the fro growing as well. So I'd like to thank our sponsor, Ortho Laser, Orthopedic Laser Centers, once again. This is Dr. Scott Sigmund, hashtag follow the fro, host of the Ortho Show. Till next time. 